Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. this tin can that you see over here. And in there, it looks unassuming, but you can fit about 40, 50 love letters inside there. And not the mini ones, but the standard size ones uh, when you roll properly. Um, and the interesting thing about love letters is that it's easy to consume. In one mouth, two mouth, you can finish it. Um, but it's a lot of hard work behind it to make a love letter. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, more than just making the better for the love letters, the hard part comes in after putting the batter into the waffle maker. And when it's ready, when you take it out, you have to use your bare hands and then you have to roll it with a chopstick. And you can't use a glove to do it because it, it, it makes it inconsistent. So you have to use your bare hands, endure the pain, the burning pain, and you have to roll it. And you can't just roll it. You have to roll it fast and precise um, because if you take too long, it will harden up. As you know, biscuits, they harden up very quickly. So it has to be done quickly. So that's just for one love letter. So can you imagine a tin like that? You have to endure the pain and the suffering for 60 times just for one can like that. And so my grandma would sell this uh, every Chinese New Year. Um, and then she would ask, is anyone in the family willing to carry on this heritage of mine? And then everybody looked at each other and just looked down and keep quiet. Because they all know the amount of work to put in just to make one love letter. But God is good and gracious and he sent my wife into the family uh, to be willing to take over and carry on this heritage. So I'm grateful and we are grateful for her. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, last week and this week, um, we are going through this focus called Disciple the Generations. Um, and this year, our church is going through First and Second Thessalonians. Um, alongside with that, we are rolling out three faith exploits. Disciple the generations, disciple the nations, and disciple Singapore. And these are the strategies moving forward that Covenant will be uh, moving with to fulfill the Great Commission. And last week, Sarah Chan talked about a viral faith, of how we are called to have a viral faith in our Christian walk. And this week, the preaching team decided on the title of Vital Village. On how, as much as we need to have a viral faith, that viral faith requires a vital village. A vital village. So before I start, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, come illuminate our minds to hear from you. And not just hear from you, Lord, help us to obey your word as we leave this place. So come, Lord Jesus, take your place as we hear from you today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul, likewise, had a heritage that he wanted his protege Timothy to pass on. And in his final letter in 2 Timothy, as he wrote this, he told Timothy to pass on and preserve this specific heritage. Not a human heritage, not a human heritage like the one I talked about earlier on, but a spiritual heritage, a spiritual heritage of a vital village. And that's what Paul asked Timothy to preserve and to pass on. But before that, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God together from 2 Timothy 1, 1-7. 
I'll be reading from the ESV. So ready? One, two, three, go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded by your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Louis and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. And so this is the passage that we'll be looking at. And we'll be looking at the two non-negotiables of a vital village. Two non-negotiables. And the first thing that we're going to look at is that in a vital village, we all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. That's the first non-negotiable of a vital village. So look with me now to verses 1 through 5. Um, and in the first verse, we see Paul is in prison and his life is threatened and he most likely will die, which he did eventually. And the first thing that Paul wrote, even though this is a common opening statement that Paul uses in four of his other letters, but we have to understand that Paul was in prison and the first line he chose to write, notice what he says in verse 1, that the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, in view of how his life is in the hands of Roman authorities, he chose to put his faith in the Lord and say, you know what, my life is not in the hands of the Roman authorities. No human authority can have my life, but the promise of life is found in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And Paul starts his letter like that and I was like, wow, what kind of faith does he have that I also want to continue on and pass on? But the interesting here is actually verse 2. Look at me, it says, To Timothy, my dear son. Paul likens his relationship with Timothy as to a father and son. Not in a physical, biological sense, but a spiritual sense. And many of you sitting here did not just come to church one day and, and journey on your own in your faith. There were people that were investing in your life at different points when you first became a believer, or even before you became a believer. Someone shared that gospel. And there were poles, different poles in the different seasons of your life. You know, I remember growing up in Covenant uh, since I was four. Uh, this is an image of, I think, Fairfield Methodist. Before Covenant had any building, uh, we rented Fairfield Methodist. So something similar to the situation right now in the East. You are renting a place. We don't have a, a house to, for the church yet. And so I'm thankful for people, uh, Sunday school teachers who faithfully serve week in, week out. And I remember uh, the, the disciple maker that shared the gospel to me when I was 10 is still currently serving in the same ministry up till today. And he serves with me. Uh, and I'm so grateful for people like that. I'm grateful for Pastor Matt, who has been faithfully serving as a youth pastor back then, um, and we asked him, how do you have that zeal? You know, every single week, you have so much energy. Where do you get the energy from? And so we're thankful for Pastor Matt. And that's me in the glasses, by the way. We're trying to figure out who am I. That's me in the glasses. Um, yeah, and, and you know, as I grew along, different ones came as well. 
Um, some of you who have been here for a long time, like Pastor King Yao um, and his wife, uh, would remember certain memories of church camp. Um, but people like Justin Fun. Justin Fun is someone who journeyed along with me and a few other boys um, as we were growing up. Um, and, and the few boys were, were over here on the top left corner. These are the boys that he, Justin Fun, uh, journeyed with uh, since I was 14 years old. This is a picture when I was 17. But when I was 14, he journeyed along with us and he chose to say, you know what, I'm going to pour out my life. I'm going to pour out my time for you. And he helped us a lot through our teenage years because he, he made us realize we don't have to journey alone and we can share our struggles. And, and you know what? We don't have to be perfect to be a good Christian or whatsoever that people say we are supposed to be. We can share our struggles openly. And that helped us a lot in our journey growing up as a Christian, as a teenager. And you know, as we grew older, when we turned 17, Justin eventually asked us um, to start a CG from this group of four boys and so I was sacrificed to be the CGL. Um, and then we basically continued faithfully and we grew. And there were more people coming in, grew from 40, 50, 60 people. And then as we multiplied, the East Center came up. And then we were like, you know what, we're going to send a CG over. And so we deployed the best people over to the East to start the new work there. And so we sent Josiah Cole, which some of you would know, uh, who is currently in the, in the East Center and so it continued to multiply. And you know, just now in the second service, I was speaking to some of them and they just told me they're going to multiply again uh, this end of the month. And so we're just so grateful for how the faithfulness of people like Justin, who, who were willing to take time and effort to journey along with us. And that reproduced so many kingdom-minded disciple makers across the generations. You know, not just the, the spiritual family that play a part, the biological family as well plays a part in this vital village. If you look with me to verse 3 to 5, verse 3 to 5, we see that Paul and Timothy had something in common. In verse 3, it says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. So Paul's ancestors were serving God. And likewise, you see in verse 5, he said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Timothy likewise had generations before him who faithfully served the Lord. Paul and Timothy didn't just show up one day and be like, okay, I am now a disciple of Jesus. No, there were people that were placed surrounding them to walk the journey with them, to disciple them. And so we see that commonality between Timothy and Paul over here in verses 3 to 5. But the question is, what is this sincere faith that the Apostle Paul talks about? What is this sincere faith that has been passed down from generation to generation? You know, in the original language, it doesn't say sincere. But the original language, the literal meaning of the word is actually without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy, a faith without hypocrisy. That is the original adjective that is used to describe this faith that is passed down. What exactly does it mean to have a faith without hypocrisy? It's simply what you claim to believe is matched by what you do and how you live. Let me say that again. Without hypocrisy faith is a faith where you, what you claim to believe is matched with what you do and how you live. A faith without hypocrisy is not where you check off a box in an application form, I'm a Christian. Without hypocrisy, faith is not that. It is one that is seen and tested 
when you are driving down the road and someone cuts you in without signaling. That is when it's seen and tested, whether you have that faith that is without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy, faith also looks like one when someone wrongs you and how you choose to respond reflects whether you have a faith without hypocrisy. Or a faith without hypocrisy is one where you say one thing and then on the other side from Monday to Saturday you live a different life. That is when it's seen and tested whether you truly have a faith that is without hypocrisy. So that's why it's being passed down from generations to generation. Now recently in uh, a news article on Thursday actually, um, there were articles written about how this year, 2022, the government is going to celebrate 2022 as the year for families. Uh, something new, never heard before. Um, and in the CNA article, this is what the Minister for Social and Family Development says. He says, Strong families continue to be the bedrock of our society. Strong families also nurture resilient individuals who do well for themselves and their families and who eventually, we hope, give back to the community. This is a virtuous cycle that we want to perpetuate and preserve. Even the government in Singapore sees the importance of the family in playing the role of preserving a heritage and passing it on. But in our case, it's not a, a heritage of virtue values, but a spiritual heritage of a vital village that we are passing down as disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, the question then is, what can we do? We look at verses 1 through 5 and it's like, yeah, we all have a part to play in our biological home and in our spiritual family here in Covenant East. Where shall we start? You know, there's so many places we can start. Where do I go to? May I humbly suggest to us that there are two low-hanging fruits that we can start with, okay? The first one is remember the generations that God has surrounded you with in prayer. In prayer. Look with me in verse 3. Just now when it says, in the second half of verse 3, it says, I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Paul was actively praying for Timothy, constantly, night and day. And that's something that we can do for a start. For those of you who don't know where to start in discipling the generations, in playing a part, we can start by first praying for the generations in your spiritual family or biological family. Pray for them in your own quiet time and prayer time. And the second thing that we can do, not just pray for them, we can remember to press on in building the relationship. God has placed you in your specific family, in your biological family for a reason. And there are some, there are many people in your family, not all of them may be Christians yet. And God has placed you there for a reason. So that through you, that the genuine faith can be seen and experienced. So that they can know that God is real. So the second thing we can do is to remember to press in, in building the relationship. We can see here in verse 4. You see, I, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. This intimacy that the Apostle Paul had with Timothy is not something that was built overnight. If you know your history, Paul actually asked Timothy to follow him in his second missionary journey. And that was in AD 50. And in this letter was written about AD 65. So we're looking at more than 10 years, more than 10 years 
of relationship that was built as Timothy journeyed together with Paul in his mission work. And notice here, Paul is ministering to Timothy, but Timothy is also actually ministering to Paul by his presence. Look at me with what verse 4 says. Paul says that I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Just as much as how Paul was ministering to Timothy, Timothy was also ministering to Paul in his presence or just being there with Paul. So it's not just when I have a part to play with disciple generations, it's only for me discipling someone younger than me. No, it's both ways. It's both young and old. We both need each other in this vital village. The second thing that is a non-negotiable in a vital village is that we must rely on the Holy Spirit to pass it on. As much as we have a role to play in our biological family and our spiritual family, the Apostle Paul in the next two verses reminds us that this role that we play can never take the place of the Holy Spirit. A spiritual heritage is from God. And what is from God needs to be sustained by God. And it has to be none other than the Holy Spirit. And so look with me to verses 6 to 7. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, let's pause here for a second. There are three questions that we need to ask in verse 6. The first question is, what is this reason? What is this reason that the Apostle Paul is talking about? And if we look carefully, this reason that the Apostle talks about is actually found in verse 5. It refers to the sincere or genuine faith that has been passed down through the generation. That is the reason that the Apostle Paul is talking about. In other words, for this genuine, sincere faith that has been passed down through the generations, in light of that, I remind you then to fan into flames the gift of God. So that, firstly, is the reason that we talk about. Secondly, what is this gift of God? What is this gift of God? May I suggest to us that this gift of God is none other than the Holy Spirit. The reason why is because it's singular, firstly. It's not gifts of God. It's gift of God. And secondly, in verses 7, we will see that Paul is actually alluding to the Holy Spirit. To the Holy Spirit. Because the outworking of power, love, and self-control comes from the outworking of the Holy Spirit. So the gift of God here refers none other than the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, what does Paul mean when he says fan into flame? Like what, what does he even mean by that? You know? Now, how many of you have been to a satay store or did your own barbecue before? Yeah? Yeah? I, you realize I talk about food because I love eating. So everything, all the energy is all food. Anyways, now in the satay store or barbecue pit, you will always see without fail someone who is manning the fire. And in the fire, you, you, you'll see someone having some fan or some cardboard box and, and you'll be seeing them fanning the flame. And have you ever wondered, or if you've done it before yourself, have you ever wondered why, why when we fan the flame, somehow the, the fire gets bigger or gets stronger or hotter? Have, have you ever wondered why? See, what happens when we fan the flame is that we're introducing a fresh wind. We are introducing a fresh wind into that fire pit. And in that fresh wind contains air that is rich in oxygen. And all of you have been through primary school science. And what does a fire need? It needs 
It needs oxygen. And so every single time when we fan the flame into that fire, we are introducing a fresh wind that is rich in oxygen into that fire. And Paul here is telling Timothy, he's not telling Timothy to start a fire. No, the fire already exists in Timothy. He is already exercising that fire. But what Paul is saying here, Timothy, I want you to take the fire, that lukewarm fire that's in you right now, and I want you to make it red hot by fanning it into flames. That's what Paul is telling Timothy, to fan into flame. Now, this idea of fanning, the verb fanning here, is in the present infinitive, which means it's a continuous action with no end date. Paul is telling us, continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day, every single moment of your life. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit to no end date. That's what Paul is telling Timothy, essentially. To fan into flame the gift of God. Now, what does it mean to fan into flame for us then? When we choose to dive deep into the Word of God, to discover the truths that He has given to us, what happens is we are fanning a fresh wind into the flame that God has already deposited in us. When we choose to invest time into the relationships in our biological and spiritual family, what happens is they are fanning a fresh wind into the fire that God has deposited in us. When we choose to disciple the generations, we are allowing a fresh wind into the flame that God has deposited in us. Fan into flame the gift of God. That's what Paul is telling us here. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the second half of verse 6, it says, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. In this specific context, Paul is talking about Timothy's ordination and commissioning to be a minister of the gospel. But the principle here, my friends, is not that only when you're a minister of the gospel, then you need to fan into flame. No, the principle here is that all of us have been given the Holy Spirit. All of us, when we say yes to Jesus, when you say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, what happens is that the Holy Spirit now indwells in you, each and every one of us here. And so when Paul calls us now then is to continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit that's already in us. It's not a Pentecostal thing where only the Pentecostals have Holy Spirit. No, it's a Christian thing, my friends, where every single one of us have been given the Holy Spirit to fan into flame. And then Paul, in, in verse 7, then tells us, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, what is this spirit of power? Is it the, oh, give me the strength? No. What Paul is talking about here, the power refers to press on, to persevere through suffering. In this specific context, is to press on and persevere through trials and suffering. And that's the true power that we have that is given by the Holy Spirit. Not power in terms of physical strength, but more importantly, power to push through the opposition and challenges that we face in light of suffering. And secondly, the spirit of love, as we all know, is a love that is not conditional, but unconditional, where you not only choose to love people that you want, but every single one in your biological home and your spiritual home. 
where he chooses to say, you know what, even though there are some quirks about you that I don't really like and love, but I'm called nonetheless to love you because that's the mandate given to me as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will grant you that kind of love and that ability to do so. And finally, the spirit of self-control. It's basically the idea to be clear-headed. To be clear-headed and single-minded that whatever opposition and trials that come your way, that you'll be so clear that nothing's going to stand in my way because I'm clear of my goal, my focus, and my call as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will not choose to be angry, but I'll choose to be having that self-control to be slow to anger. And that, my friends, cannot be earned or trained, but it's purely given by the Holy Spirit. It's the outworkings of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul here is not telling us to pursue power, love, and self-control. No, Paul is saying to fan into flame the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And as a result, it will lead to us living a life that is of power, love, and self-control. And that's the essence of what it means to fan into flame the gift of God, you know, I mentioned earlier about the four boys at the top left corner, about how Justin uh, was willing to invest and pour out his time and life for us. As I invite the worship team forward as we close, um, not only did we have the spiritual family to help and journey along with us in the teenage years, we also had family members. uh, And our mothers played an important role uh, in our teenage years. And what happens is every single week during our teenage years, our mothers would gather every single week and they would share their struggles, their pains, because I'm a very naughty boy, there are a lot of struggles and pains. So they would share about the different yeah, struggles with, of their teenage boys as well. And then they would pray for each other and pray for their children. And every single week they would do that during the years of our teenage life. And so not only do we have people in the spiritual family who were taking care and journeying with us, we also had the biological family who were constantly praying for us because they know that no matter what they do, no matter what role they play, they cannot do it by themselves. They need, firstly, community and ultimately, the Spirit to empower them, to push on, to persevere through, even though it's difficult to raise teenagers. Two things of a non-negotiable of a vital village. The first is that we must remember we all have a part to play in this vital village. And the second thing that we need to know is that we must rely on the Holy Spirit to do so. As much as we have a role to play, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. And you know, when I talk about Justin just now, who who kind of like journeyed with us, now if you see the boy in red, that boy in red is Zachary, and that's his oldest son. And Zachary is about four or five years old here. Um, and in that picture, uh, it's basically, uh, we had a once-a-year gathering for Christmas and we were part of the zone uh, that my CG was in. And over time, Zachary got to see what it's like to live in a vital village. In a vital village where everyone has a part to play and everyone is relying on the Holy Spirit to help them to play their part. And over the years, we will spend time with his son as he spent time with us. And he got to see that genuine faith, though fallen, 
but it was honest, it was genuine. He saw that it was a genuine face that not just his parents had, but everyone else in the village had as well. And over the years, and now he's 16 years old, Zachary caught that genuine faith that was passed down by the village that he was part of. And you see Zachary in the white t-shirt, in the arrow, and next to him is Pastor Sharon's son, Caleb. And they are both serving together in, in, in this team that I, one of the teams that I lead in upper primary, where we have a mix of youth and adults leading and caring for the upper primary kids. And so we see here that this genuine faith is passed on to Zachary because Zachary likewise saw the importance of passing this important spiritual heritage. And we can see that through his desire to serve. You know, as we come to a close, some of you here may have kids and you find it a struggle to raise them because it's not easy. Um, and you know what? Today, as, as we read from Scripture, the Lord tells us today that you don't have to journey alone because you have your spiritual family here who will journey with you every single step of the way. And you have the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, that will grant you the strength, no matter how tiring it is, that the Lord will grant you that grace for each new day. For some of you here, you don't know where to start. You say, yes, I want to be part of this vital village that I call home here at Covenant East, but I don't know where to start. Today, wherever the Lord is leading you to start serving or playing that part, I want you to know that God will empower you and God will strengthen you in that wherever He places you, He will make sure that He will grant you that strength. And at all heads bow and all eyes closed, right now I want to take some time to just allow the Word to speak to us so that we can respond appropriately to what the Lord has spoken about what it means to be part of a vital village. If you're someone who is a parent and is struggling with raising your child, in a moment's time as we sing the song, I want you as a response to say, Lord, I can't do this. Help me to stand up so that you may be once again be filled, renewed by the Holy Spirit. In the second group of people, if you say, yes, I want to be part of this vital village. I don't know where, but Lord, help me. Grant me the strength to do so. I want you to stand as well. So as the worship team comes and minister to us, as the Spirit leads, will you stand as you respond to the Lord accordingly? Breath of God, fan us into flame. 
spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.